I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, March 30th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, as the legislature nears the end of the 2021 session, lawmakers approve final budget bills, including a budget increase for education. Then, in part two of our conversation with UMMC's Dr. Loanne Woodward, we look at the lessons learned and the lasting toll of the coronavirus pandemic. Plus, we break down the highlights from the latest Millsaps Chisholm State of the State poll. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi lawmakers are finalizing the state's $6 billion budget this week. Included in bills passed yesterday are raises for state employees and an increased allocation for education. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman says the state legislature has touched on a number of high-priority issues this session. Well, we got a pay raise for state employees. I thought that was very well needed. Uh, we're devoting a significant amount of money to parks and getting those rehabilitated up to something we'd be proud to take our families to. Uh, we had significant health care costs we had to cover this year for every agency in, in government. And so we're going about parsing all those out. We've made a significant investment in education in addition to the money that's coming in from the federal government. So we've uh, touched a lot of bases this year. The pay raise for state employees includes a 3% raise for state workers and a 1% increase for college and university employees. Senate Appropriations Chair Briggs Hobson addressed a pool of reporters at the Capitol yesterday. Well, you've got to look at your revenue. I mean, you've got to start with what the overall picture is. And we looked at the amount of revenue we had. We looked also at replacing some one-time cost. I mean, many people don't know this, but uh, after the pandemic started last year, we had significant downturns in the state economy, and we were able to keep some of the cuts from being worse than what they were because we put one-time funds, uh, some reserve funds, into the budget to help fill that. So we had to replace those uh, because those are recurring revenues. Any pay increase is going to be a recurring revenue, so we had to supplant that with general funds. 
but I think we've done a good job. We've gotten that um, the state pay raises will begin January 1 uh, because we have a new state system uh, that will deal with market rates for employees across the state. And then uh, we have a few that are what we call non-state personnel, but they are employed through state agencies, and they will uh, get a pay raise, a smaller amount, but it will begin July 1st of this year. Can you give us the rundown on how much they'll be getting extra, and if it's everybody or just some? Or? It's based on a uh, system that's being set up through the personnel board, um, and the, the idea is there will be a 3% across the board pay raise, but it will be based on market rate for that particular job. So if someone is at the market rate already, they may not get a pay raise. But for those that are under the market rate, they would get up to a 3% pay raise. College and university employees will receive their raises July 1st. State employees will see their increases in January. The estimated cost is $26.4 million. The education budget is also getting an increase. Veteran teachers and teacher assistants have secured a $1,000 salary increase, while the salary floor for new teachers rose to $1,100. On the chamber floor yesterday, House Education Chair Richard Bennett said it was a good year for education and highlighted the other items in the comprehensive budget bill. It was a good year, so... You know, we hope we can maintain that. Don't know because the budgets change. It's just a real good year for education as far as money going into it. We gave a $1,000 teacher pay raise. That was $51.5 million. We picked up the health insurance for our public teachers and staff. That was another $13 million. Teacher supplies is up to $8 million this year. Early learning collaborative, we added another $8.2 million. It's right above $16 million for this year. That's, that's, that's tremendous. That has really uh, moved the needle for Mississippi. Math coaches. This is the first time we've had math coaches. We've had other coaches. We had early learning coaches, but we've never had the math coaches. There's $5 million in there for math coaches. That will mostly go to our DNF districts to uh, help move the needle there. We've made tremendous strides there. We're going to continue in that direction. Bennett also noted in addition to the appropriated funds from the state, local school districts are receiving federal relief directly. He's encouraging lawmakers and constituents alike to be active at the local level so their voices can be heard as those funds get spent. But let me say this, in addition to all this, there is a tremendous amount of money going directly to the schools, to your school districts. I encourage your constituents to go to school board members, go to school board meetings, and see how that money is being spent. Hold them accountable. You as legislators, I ask you to go to those school board. They may not want you there, but I'm telling you, someone needs to be seeing that it is spent efficiently. Upon signing the education budget yesterday, Governor Tate Reeves said of the pay, the $1,000 teacher pay raise, our teachers deserve this and more. Coming up in part two of our conversation with UMMC's Dr. Luann Woodward, we look at the lessons learned and the lasting toll of the coronavirus pandemic. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. The original Southern Remedy is available as a podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcasting app. You can email a question to remedy at mpbonline.org. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. 
This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Biden administration is calling for governors and local leaders to reinstitute mask mandates as the nation continues to combat transmission of the coronavirus. President Joe Biden sent the message yesterday with a pledge to also ramp up vaccine distribution nationwide. Locally, the year-long pandemic has placed tremendous strain on the state's hospital system. In part two of our conversation with Dr. Luann Woodward of, Missis- of the University of Mississippi Medical Center, we look at the lasting toll of the coronavirus pandemic, beginning with the mental and emotional state of healthcare workers. So, so I think that there's been the yearning for normal, the realization that maybe normal's not coming back, and all of that is layered on top of people having worked for a year now in a very stressful situation where they are dealing with um, a different sickness than we've seen before and patients dying, the isolation from the standpoint of not being able to have families and other loved ones around when people are critically ill and, and dying. You know, there have been so many stressors that that healthcare workers have experienced in this last year that most people who work in healthcare are not accustomed to that level of stress, that type of stress on a day-in and day-out basis, I think that will have an impact on emotional health for a long time. I've heard them saying in passing, you know, there's a group of healthcare workers that are never going to recover from what they have experienced. And, And while they certainly may go on and continue to work in healthcare, those experiences that have occurred during this last year have had a lasting impact and I think um, have certainly shaped people. But, but for the most part, especially the ones on the front lines, the nurses, the physicians, the respiratory therapists who have been so intimately involved in the care of these particular patients, you know, it's not over yet. They are still, um, while our numbers are decreasing, and that's a welcome relief, there's still a sense of this pandemic is very much with us. It's not in the rearview mirror yet. And how could they not be emotionally impacted when, when many of them, if not most, have been the conduit between the patient and their family members and the frustration and the sadness and not being able to be with the loved one. And here you have a healthcare worker holding the phone up to the ear or at the window, you know, and trying to translate messages back and forth. How could you not be impacted by that? Oh, I know it. I mean, that, it, and it's very true and it's very real. And, and that is on top of the intense level of care that these patients have required. So it's on top of other stressors. It's on top of their own concerns about their safety and the safety of their family. Am I taking this virus home? Am I exposing my own family to this? Um, Just the uncertainties that I mentioned, not knowing how much longer it's going to go on, you know, not knowing how to best treat these patients, especially early on when we were all as as a country learning what works and what doesn't work. 
and then to have that added responsibility, which they, you know, based on the nursing staff that I have spoken with here, they willingly took it on. They in every way want to assist their patient, and they saw that as a need, the need for somebody, and it turned out to be them in most cases, to step in and be that conduit of information and communication on top of a situation that was already very stressful. That's something that will stay with them the rest of their lives. Looking ahead, I think most of us or many of us see this this little light at the end of the tunnel. But then we hear about this variant, especially this South African variant. How much concern is around that? And what would happen if it becomes, if it emerges and becomes aggressive? Does that mean we start all over again? Well, we are, so there is light at the end of the tunnel. And the vaccines are the light at the end of the tunnel. The fact that Um, For us, the numbers are going down. The new case numbers are going down. The hospitalized, admitted patients are going down. These are all positive things. Um, So I think that there is light at the end of the tunnel, and we should be thankful for that. And and, and that's a source of joy and relief. And, and, And again, that kind of feeling like, okay, maybe I can take a deep breath. But just like you mentioned, there are variants that are popping up. And And to your question of would it be starting over, I don't think it would be starting over at all um, because we've learned so much. You know, the things that we know now compared to last year, the the methods of treatment, the way things are spread, the the equipment that is needed or not needed. And, you know, we're prepared at a different level to take care of patients with this virus certainly than we were a year ago and even six, eight months ago. Um, It's been a huge year of learning for the medical and scientific community, but that doesn't mean that it would not be very, very hard to personally see and witness and be part of a resurgence in this country, in this state, you know, in this medical center. It, It would be very hard. It would stress already stressed and not yet relieved resources and people and individuals. So we are watching it carefully. It is alarming to see in in some areas of the world where they're having these resurgence. Um, to me, the, the, the scientific literature that I am most eager to read every time I get a chance to see it is what is the efficacy of the vaccines against these variants because, you know, that's what we're all holding on to, right? We're all holding on to the hope that, okay, now that we've gotten maybe a third of Mississippians vaccinated and and we're well on our way as a state and a country to getting, you know, widespread vaccination in place, is that going to protect us? So still so many questions to be answered, but but it wouldn't be like starting over. We know so much more. We're much more prepared, but it would be very hard. Well, we'll hang on to the hope part of That's that. Right. Dr. Luann Woodward is the Vice Chancellor of Health Affairs at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Dr. Woodward, thank you so much for your thoughts today. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Thank you. Coming up, we break down the highlights from the latest Millsaps Chisholm State of the State poll. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. 
Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A newly released survey finds 51% of Mississippians support the American Rescue Plan recently signed by President Biden. The Millsaps College Chisholm Strategies State of the State survey found despite the state's support of conservative Republican politics, only 29% oppose the plan. The stimulus package includes $1,400 of direct stimulus payments, extends unemployment benefits, and increases the child-earned income tax credit to $3,000. Nathan Schrader is the chair of the Department of Government and Politics at Millsaps College. He breaks down the state's support of the relief package as well as other highlights from the poll. Mississippians are are strongly in favor of the American Rescue Plan that passed the House and the Senate and was signed by President Biden. And here's a a statistic that that should interest all of your listeners, that Mississippians favor the plan by a, a, a margin of 22 points. 51% 51% support the American Rescue Plan, 29% are opposed. That's a 22-point margin of support. I went and checked that with the latest national polling figures in which, uh, if we look at the United States as a whole, is it's, it's a 24-point margin. So Mississippi tracked very nicely, at least with the, the, you know, the margin of support, those, those saying that they support it as opposed to those in comparison to those who oppose it. We're right on track with the national polling on this. I want to move on now to the legislature and some uh, some state issues. First of all, it seems sure. most surprising that the approval or disapproval of the legislature, the approval has increased rather significantly compared to recent polls. Are people saying why that's the case? So uh, we saw a, a, a remarkable improvement just over a short period of time since the beginning of the new legislative session. In the, in the approval rating of the legislature. Now, look, I want to point out the legislature's approval rating is still underwater. It is 37% approved and 38% disapproved, but that's considerably better than it had been in, I would say, the last two years of polling that we've done. You have to go back to September of 2018 to find numbers that are even close to as, you know, as positive for them as they are now. Now, with that said, there are still some vast discrepancies out there among the electorate as to who is saying what about the legislature. So the legislature's uh, ratings, their positive rate, the improved ratings are largely being driven by um, several demographic groups. Republicans largely approve of the legislature. Republican voters give them a a plus 30 score uh, when it comes to the approved-disapproved measurement. Um, Voters 65 and older give them a, a plus nine uh, voters, eight, eight, younger voters, interestingly, 18 to 34, give them a plus seven. Uh, white voters, plus 16. And voters that live in the Jackson metro area give them the strongest approval, what, 22 points, uh, plus 22 points. Now, that's interesting to me because, as you know, the Jackson metro area takes in Madison County, Rankin County, and Hines County. We're not talking about a uniformly Democratic or Republican uh, piece of the electorate there. It's a it's, it's very much mixed when you take all the counties in the metro area together. 
So those are the areas that are driving the legislature's improvement in their ratings from, from what we see in the data. But if you talk to other voters, and we're seeing this on Democrats, independents, voters 35 to 44, voters 55 to 64, uh, African-American voters and male voters, they view the legislature much less favorably. And so that's where the, you know, that split, it's almost evenly split right now in their approved, disapproved numbers, but those are the specific segments of the electorate we can pinpoint that's driving maybe the slight improvement, but or also areas where they're still struggling with certain types of voters. What was the response about increasing minimum wage in Mississippi? Right. So Mississippians largely want to increase the minimum wage. Uh, about 70 percent of Mississippians, in fact, believe that the, the minimum wage, that the federal minimum wage needs to be increased. Only only a quarter of voters, 25 percent, say that the minimum wage should remain where it is, which is seven twenty-five an hour. And that's what the minimum wage is in Mississippi, because Mississippi, by default, utilizes the federal minimum wage. Right. As we don't have our a, a different state minimum wage like some other other states in the country do. Now, here's where we, we wanted to be able to provide a little more nuance for everybody. So what we found, though, is that the plurality of those who want to raise the minimum wage want to make it $15 per hour. Um, now, here's why, here's why I think this is an interesting point to talk about for a lot of reasons. First of all, we're, we also find in the polling, of course, Mississippi is a conservative Republican state. That has not changed. I don't expect that to change. But here's something that has changed. Uh, voter, an increasing number of voters are embracing the $15 an hour figure. And let me tell you what's happening there. The last time we polled the minimum wage increase was two years ago, the spring of 2019. And here's one thing that's held constant. About a quarter of the electorate then in 20, spring of 19 and the spring of 2021 that they don't think there should be any increase. So that has held constant. But what's changed is the share of those who are saying it should start at $15 per hour has jumped by 12 points. And so that, to me, shows, again, they're, they're responding to things that they're hearing and seeing nationally and things they're hearing and seeing from people who are earning that wage, who are explaining why that 725 amount that they're getting paid now is not enough to maybe, you know, pay the rent and pay the food bills or put their kids through school. And I think some of the narratives that they're hearing are are moving them towards the direction of a $15 figure. Interesting. One more area I'd like to address is Mm -hmm. whether the state has a responsibility in helping Jackson, whose infrastructure was put to the test and failed the test with their water outages. The, The infrastructure is old, 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 and it needs overhaul and replacement. Should the state participate financially in that restoration? Mississippi voters say absolutely. Uh, 55% of Mississippi voters say that the state of Mississippi itself has an obligation to help Jackson and its residents um, with the crisis it's in now and to repair, help repair that water, water system. Only 30% say no. But again, we wanted to provide for uh, as much nuance as possible. And we asked the follow-up question of, um, you know, who should actually be responsible for funding those, those upgrades? We found that, you know, 33% are saying 
that it needs to be a combination of federal, state, and local money. Uh, 16% telling us it should be federal money, 11% state money. Only 33%, if you look at it from that perspective, you're just looking at 33% to say that Jackson should be on its own to make those payments and or to, to uh, pay for their improvements. Whereas you're nearing, you know, over 65% who say, hey, somebody else, like, the, you know, the, the combination of federal, state, local taxpayers or the federal and state governments primarily ought to be coming in to help with this. Where can people access the report? Yes, if, if people go to www.milsaps.edu, it's, it, the, the, full, the press release is there on the homepage, and they can scroll down and click on the full report, give them data on different demographic groups and how they're thinking in Mississippi. Dr. Nathan Schrader is the chair of the Department of Government and Politics at Millsaps College. Dr. Schrader, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Karen. I appreciate you having me. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.